Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed Cause nothing's more relaxing Than the cries of death and love So spend a tender Welcome to the second edition of the Final Destination season of this, the With Gorley and Russ podcast. My name is Matt Gorley. And my name is Paul Rust. Uh, well Hi, Paul. done, Matt. I like that intro. I'm, I've gone official. Because I've never, uh, 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 I've never taken that bullet. Why don't you give it a shot? Okay. <clears throat> Oh, the destination got final, <laughs> did it not? But two times? Yes. Cut, cut. This oh. is why we don't do that. Now, let me take it again. Hi, welcome to Final Cut, cut. Why, why? That's why neither of us do it. We always put the words into a computer program that uh, sounds like your voice. <laughs> yes. Welcome <laughs> to Final Destination. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad uh, to see you again here, Matt, and uh, to to get to chat with you and uh, yes. gather around with our with our listeners. I agree. Always fun. full disclosure to the listeners: we're on Zoom because though I don't have COVID, I was around a treacherous person who did and came down with it. So we're just being safe and um, not. We're recording locally, but who knows what we'll end up using? Whether it's Zoom or our local records, you're only going to know the audio quality when you get it. So <laughs> it'll just be for a one episode time. Yeah, that's right. We'll and uh, you're making me think that COVID is an invisible force, just like uh, the Final Destination villain. I think so. And I don't want to be a spoiler, but I was looking ahead at episode or, or part three uh-huh. and Tony Todd is credited as the voice of the devil. So I don't know what ends up happening with this thing that it gets a voice. But if COVID had a voice, I'd like to think it'd be Tony Todd. Um, Yeah, maybe um, sequels are sort of kind of like the adding water 
to oatmeal where <laughs> slowly it's just like I, I don't think there's a, an alley larder in part three I think she's kind of gone away I, obviously she would uh, but well I you know I never know but I didn't expect that to happen this time I you she know wanted out what's that do you think she wanted out gosh she seemed pretty game for all those scenes though but maybe I it's because she, she knew she was phoning it in a little we read larder different. Oh no, the larder test. <laughs> the Lartmus test. <laughs> well, maybe we'll figure it out in this discussion. Let's t- yeah. tackle a little business before Please. we get started. First of all, we got the um, top five horror movie scores out now. On Patreon, if you go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Russ, you can get feature length film commentaries, mailbag episodes, and sometimes in lieu of the commentaries, we do these special episodes, and that is top five scores. Boy, was that hard to choose. Oh, you came with a just a bevy and a treasure trove of little duels. I, ha- I felt like I had to do my research. I had to reorient myself or in some cases start from scratch just to figure some of this out because I didn't want to come in having not... You know, I feel I feel myself as a novice, and so I needed some education. Oh well, it made for a terrific bonus episode, my friend. Uh, oh, thanks, you too. Well, I feel like if if you came with a treasure chest, I came kind of with like a little leather pouch full of gold. My <laughs> little doubloons, chest, yeah, little but gold doubloons nonetheless. And my treasure chest was just full of dentist toys. <laughs> Those little like dinky rings and yeah. 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 <laughs> here, gosh, here we are talking about doubloons and stuff. Seems like we've been watching too many leprechaun movies. Oh my God. And one is too many. <laughs> you're right. Uh, also, well, if you're listening yeah. to this, Townland has a little gig at a cafe in San Marino called Cafe San Marino. And when I texted that to my bandmates, it autocorrected as Cafe Dan Marino. So either way, <laughs> it's March 10th at 6 p.m. It's free and it's during a happy hour and it's going to be all stripped down and acoustic. Just uh, four of us playing acoustic and stripped down. Re- new versions of the of the Townland favorites. Oh, that, check us out. That's very special. That'll be a special evening for people. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds so cozy. San Marino, happy hour. Oof. Yeah. That sounds like a perfect little, townland setting. It is. It's this little district, tiny little main street of San Marino where it's kind of, it's kind of lost in time. They still have a full service gas station there. It's like the only one I've seen oh. in decades. Cause I think a lot of old rich people live there, but San Marino cafe is kind of new and the food there is so good. Ooh, uh, I am disappointed though that it isn't um, Dan Marino. Yeah, because uh, I like to imagine a Dan Marino themed restaurant where like all the wait staff are dressed in Dol- you know Miami Dolphins jerseys. <laughs> they only serve dolphin burgers. Yes, the PT the pita hates it, <laughs> but they got great pita. Yeah, their pita bread is great, and that's what makes pita upset because it's made of dolphins. Yes. Uh, uh, well, is that it we for biz? S- I think so. We can save the Zenos for the end, reading the baby Zeno name. So let's let's dive into it, shall we? Yes. Uh, gosh, I wish there was. Well, I guess there was a drowning scene uh, when you said dive oh, right yeah. into it. We could literally right. maybe a weird place to start. Well, the van kind of dove in. 
Yeah, the Van Dindovan. And I I I really enjoyed uh Final Destination too. Um so this isn't a but. This is just a, a, a an additional thought. When it comes to movies filmed in Canada where a van launches off a deck into a body of water and then goes to underwater shots of the actors in the van. Final Destination 2 is good. Strange Brew is better. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know where exactly we were heading. I knew it was something like this. I was thinking like Inception. Uh, What is this? Are you a Strange Brew fan? I... And, but I haven't seen it in so long. So I, I'm just assuming I remain a Strange Brew fan. But I, again, I haven't seen it in so long. Yeah, I haven't seen it in so long either. And I think we've maybe talked about it previously. So we don't have yeah. to get you know too, too deep into the brew. But um, we can talk about how there's a hospital on the shore of a giant lake. Yeah, that seems a, well, what's the, 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 there's an airport in New York that's at the end, like right by a body of water. Well, that makes sense to me, but a hospital right at a lake and notice. What if a sailor gets hurt? Right. They want a hospital right there. Or a dolphin. (laughs) If Dan Marino rides it on a dolphin with a a cut finger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I got to say when it cut to that shot of the exit doors and through the glass was the lake. I was like, I don't see that every day. You can't justify that just by calling your hospital Lakeview Hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Lakeview, I feel like is a term I see more in movies than actual life. Yeah. Lakeview is the two words people... Maybe I'm just not near a lake enough to view. Maybe in Minnesota, there's lake views all over the place. I think it's tossed around a little too willy nilly. You know. <laughs> hey, uh, Matt, I know uh, 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 somebody, you know, uh, Zoom isn't always ideal, but would you be able to get this lens flare that's going on right now? Oh, Look I at have that. seen that. That is really gorgeous. You got a nice lens flare. All right, can you get this? <gasps> you drew a little guy on your hand. Yeah, I was watching Glenn this morning, so I have a face on my hand. You know how you separate your thumb, you make a fist and separate. I haven't made one of those in so long. The the little, uh, yeah, the you make your hand with the fit, you know, a face and yeah, then do you those draw. Have a name? It's just hand puppet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but we then, it, then it makes me fort. think. Yeah, we made a big clubhouse out of a cardboard box that I taped onto this giant like standing like old standing desk we have that itself has a door you can kind of like go in in different places so now and she has this um mickey mouse bubble maker that makes all these lights so we put that inside and it just looks like she's got her own like after hours club like hollywood club thumping and she you know it's vip i've still not been allowed in <laughs> oh yeah uh mary got uh, a tent little pop-up tent from her grandpa that then she put in like a little colored light ball that moves around and it's the closest I've come to a discotheque in over a decade. <laughs> Me too. And I haven't been I invited. Still get the dog nervous. has. They go in there and have a good time. But. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, so outside of the hospital by the lake, how do you feel about Final Destination 2, buddy? Well, I had a blast. Yeah. I think it's a ridiculous film, 
but I really enjoyed watching it. I, I think I didn't realize that this one basically turns into a comedy. Yeah. And once I understood that, I mean, aside from like this, the this is, I think I'm going to say it best kills of any franchise so far. I know we're only two movies in. Of the Final Destination franchise or of all... All franchises. Damn. They're pretty amazing. They are. And they're just like uh, 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 complete crowd pleasers. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. Brantley sent us like a little documentary he edited on the kills and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Shoot. Oh, I read the notes. I didn't know there was a video. The notes oh, yeah. astounded me. I, I wrote down the ones that were like... Knock me out because there are some good. Well, give them to me because I haven't had a chance this time. Um, so if they come up, go ahead or I'll read. Oh, them for definitely. Like, yeah. yeah, for definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I was like cackling at times for how silly it was, but I really loved it. I, I don't know what's going on with some of these characters, like the 17 year old middle-aged woman who smokes Virginia Slims and, <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. I love it. I couldn't tell you. I know. I it's kind of like, I think you said last uh, with the first Final Destination, it's like a disaster movie sort of ensemble at some point. Yeah. And this one even more. So just like the surface <laughs> of business lady who smokes cigarettes, like who's young, who's oh, yes. just out of uh, junior high. I know, but they never touch on that it's like she might as well have been an executive in her late 40s the way she's like presented and acting but she looks like she's 17 it was so funny uh i i also did not understand why death had to work backwards this time uh yes that was uh <laughs> but I, I enjoyed trying to figure it out i heard about it in a uh more loudly recorded form of adr uh, uh, <laughs> with Tony Todd, it was like on his face and then off screen. She was like, I don't know where way louder. So you're saying it's going backwards. I'm like, that's yeah. not helping. I go. Okay. I mean, I'll always cop to, um, I'm such a dummy with plot and rules. So if something goes by me uh, or if uh, I can't nitpick as the person who's like, great at this stuff and then can go like, ah, 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 like it could very well be because I missed something too. But. Me too. And, and that's often the case, but, um, you know, I, I, I was still a, didn't understand the backwards thing is. Yeah. I felt like I did. And then like algebra, I immediately lost it. I liked I it more it back. Yeah. When it was the idea that it was, uh, closing loose ends. That's like where the explanation went at the end. I mean, that was more satisfying to me that it was sort of like, the airplane uh, survivors changing things then caused ripple effects. And now death has to just close the books on that. Um, yeah. That raises kinda, so many tabs. fucking questions in the world, but <laughs> I know it's opening tabs and it is trying to, because these people wouldn't have lived had the airplane crash had killed everybody in the first movie. But that also doesn't make sense because so they cheated death twice. Once when the, the airplane circumstances made them skip death and then when the accident didn't happen. Right. Like if we just use Stifler as an example, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like 
he survived. He shouldn't have. But then he caused the train or he was part of the death of the train accident. And so the cop had to go out there instead of being at the shootout. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm repeating what you said, but just citing the, a specific example of, I guess, how that worked. So now the cop now, has to die. Yeah. And then, then we're fully leaning in on Tony Todd as this kind of soothsayer who tells you the rules of death. Now, only when an unintended life is, is somehow either brought back into the world, can you truly foil death? And then you get a clean slate. So they thought that was Justine Machado. Is that her name Mm -hmm. from one day at a time? They thought she was supposed to die in this big accident and her baby was supposed to die. So they wanted to go save her only to find out through a vision that she never died in the first place. So what are they going to do? But our main girl has to go drown in the river, in the lake next to the hospital so they can bring her back to life Mm -hmm. by Dr. Karamijian or whatever it was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's the unexpected life that foiled death's plans is, but Hey, I, thank you for explaining that to me because I was just like, Oh, she had to make some sort of sacrifice and uh, save the day. Consequently, it, it, I, again, I, I wasn't, that was well said, <laughs> but that this, this one just gets fast and loose though, because when you really start to kind of parse it, that, means an unexpected life. And also Tony Todd says for every death, there's a life, but that doesn't explain population growth. Also, what about that poor goldfish? Was he going to die or not supposed to die? And is death keeping tabs on that? <laughs> on little goldfish, he's in animals. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because there comes a point with this one where the rules become way more nihilistic, where yeah. it's the idea that like, if you survive and then try to help, you shouldn't because it just messes with death's plan more. Which <laughs> is like a, a kind of a dark point of view of the world. But then also, like, where does it end? You know, right. uh, uh, like because I didn't pick up a knife at the wrong end when I was about to, does that mean like my, uh, and it was going to make me bleed out. Uh, I guess it has to be these catastrophic events that tie a bunch of people together. Also that like is what messes deaths up. It's almost like he was like, (laughs) Hey, I was going to get like 220 people killed here. Now it's only 200. And I got uh, a score to settle is, is, a way to look at it. Like there's still remaining points out there. Like it's a video game or something. Yeah. Now this one did feel like it turned into comedy. Does it keep going in that direction with the next three or does it get funnier, stupider, crazier? Um, I, you know, well with this one, I like when I, there were so many moments in the first one when we rewatched it that I was like, Oh, I remember this. I remember that. I remember uh, this one. I only remembered the car crash and then the um, barbecue at the end. Didn't you say though, that you watched this one the most? No, part the, three is the one oh, I watched the three. most. So okay. uh, yes, sorry. <laughs> so, but then, uh, but yeah, as far as part three being, so is what I can remember of that. I do think it's like any sort of slasher or movie where it's like 
the kills do have to get more wild. And yeah. part two might have uh, <laughs> heightened the bar uh, too high. Yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> I mean, God. my feeling is, uh, and I've only seen the first three, you know, that the car crash is like the best opener of, of part two. And yeah. then, yeah, it does get into pretty dark comedy territory by the end. Like you said, like by the end, it's, and when it, when I was watching it and I was like getting hit with that, I was like, Oh, they're, they're going now for comic moments when they don't necessarily need to, if that's like yeah. how you define a comedy where it's like the cop who gets freaked out that the woman's water broke and he just becomes a complete like chicken shit. I was like, yeah. that's funny. But, and I wondered, I was like, why are they doing this? And I guess it's because the premise and the kills are so wild that if they were having the characterizations play it straight or something, it would be too out of sync. They have to make that like cop character be, really comic because if he was like no man we're gonna get you to the hospital i mean maybe it would make the traps more scary or something because it's coming from something that feels real but i don't know it seemed they're like look at the 35 minute mark a glass pane falls on like a teenager kid and he explodes and meat <laughs> like so <laughs> we can't like keep being solemn about this or we're gonna have to think about how we kill the teenager i know because i think they probably took in how the audience reacted to the first one and just played up on that mm. and that was like all the ridiculous chain reactions and gore and death was you know death flirted a little with electrocution in this one, but death was really into red herrings in this one. <laughs> yes, know, yes. Wants to toy with its uh, little victims and garbage disposals and whatnot. And yeah. It somehow knew that the expectation was that it was going to die this way. And now they have to kind of be funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, death is bored. Death doesn't want it easy. Death wants to keep it fresh in the bedroom in the dead room. <laughs> That's when they're most like, and that's why it probably leans itself to your thing about it feeling like a comedy is like, it's just the exact same thing as setting up a joke. And the yeah, longer exactly. you set up right. the joke, the funnier the punchline is going to be. And then the more unexpected the punchline is, the funnier it is. So like, that's why guy gets all the way down off the fire escape. The ladder <laughs> comes in with an inch of his eye. He goes, holy shit. And then the funniest thing or most terrific thing in that moment is to have it fall into his eye. Uh, I laughed so hard at that car crash scene because it was so just graphic and grotesque. And you're right. Like when the sheriff or the cop gets the log through the car, he, the amount of bloody pulp that comes out the back end of that car is like four or five humans worth. And it was just so funny. And here's one of the amazing notes from uh, Brantley Palmer. The test screenings, the audience thought it was too gory. Like there was too much gore in it. So they took it away and then they were able to, uh, uh, the test scores went up when it was less gory. So it's a less gory movie because of that. So we're seeing the less gory version? Yeah. I mean, we'll eventually have to go down the discussion hole. We won't right now because there's other stuff to talk about final destination too but if the mpaa is like a reflection of whatever 
the culture is, is going to be okay with in terms of ratings. The fact that this never was even close to getting an NC-17 and test audiences are the ones saying like, Jesus, guys, pull it back. <laughs> there was, uh, again, this is like a whole other door, but it's like whatever post 9-11 thing was happening. Dude, a movie to end with like a charred body part falling and falling in front of somebody's face and that being the punctuation mark of this movie it's just and to play it as comedy and i remember yeah. the, the reason i remember that barbecue scene in final destination 2 is because when that movie ended i remember feeling hungry <laughs> weird about it it, yeah. it unsettled me and yeah. i i was like thought it was like cool like oh wow it unsettled <laughs> me that's awesome good for it and i still think that but it is just a pretty, um, I guess maybe the comedy is also to take the edge off of how just like, I don't want to say it's mean spirited because I don't think it's mean. It's just like, yeah, graphic. Yeah. And you said it well, I think nihilistic in a sense. It doesn't quite know what tone it is. It's going for comedy. It's going for seriousness and then also emotion and nihilism at times. That's why I felt like I couldn't quite, connect with Ali Larder's character because she's this kind of too cool for school now. Yeah. I know she's been through a lot, but I don't know. I, just, I like that. It, you're it, saying her character falls between like the two stools of the tones of final destination one and two. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's neither, uh, 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 what is it? Foul nor fish nor foul uh, fish nor foul. It's like, see, I thought she was good in it because yeah, I didn't. I thought the first one, it was like too, too cool. And it was almost like I thought maybe, oh, wow. In the last three years, Ali Larder became a better actor or something. Mm. Uh, but I mean, this has been said about Ali Larder from the beginning. People could have such different points of view about her performance. The ambiguity. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> She's the blue and gold dress. Actor. <laughs> You knocked my headphones off with that. <laughs> well, all of this being said. That blue and blue loved, dress got me. Uh, I loved watching this movie. It felt it felt like maybe a little bit of a step down in terms of quality and the way it looked and even maybe even acting for me. But it stepped up what I think you come to a Final Destination movie for. So in that sense, it was a win. And again, the deaths. Yes. Top notch. Top notch. Well, it makes me really excited for a best kill at the end because that's going to be a tough one to choose. Really tough. I know. So should we just yeah. kind of move into this yeah. movie? Oh, and you know when you said like uh, uh, it delivers on what a Final Destination movie is part by part two? The thing I like by part three is just how streamlined everything is. And oh, if cool. you, you know, people tisk tisk about how a studio does movies, but this is definitely like post studios develop projects now. Like back in the Friday, the 13th nightmare on Elm street, Halloween days, either the creator would get to continue it or the producer who owned the rights to that thing. And so they would just sort of like 
maybe kind of start to find their way, but it would take around like part three by part two. This feels like such studio product, (laughs) but like in the best way possible, it's like, yeah, let's not slow it down with, um, that they ever think she she's weird for knowing this stuff. Yeah. Like we're not going to slow it down with that crap. That was Devin right. Sawa's stuff. She's yeah. never going to be a suspect. It's not going to be weird because everybody knows about it. It's like, thank God. I know that was nice. If this fact, was I just, didn't even know I'd missed that like, yeah. or didn't miss that. And then also the sort of, um, there's not a tortured um, couple at the center. Like there was with, Devin Sawa and Ali Larder that yeah. kind of gummed up the works because we found out later they reshot scenes where first they were romantic and then they weren't this one. They were just like, let's keep it simple. The, the, the girl, the college girl and the cop, they might have romantic chemistry, but it never goes romantic. They don't have a past. It's not like they're working through something. They just met each other through. It's like pretty streamlined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's jump in. All right. Um, so yeah, uh, what did you um uh I-, I noticed when the new line logo came up, it did make me reflect on New Line, I guess as long as we're talking about them. same year as Freddy versus Jason, uh Final Destination 2, uh 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 January of 2003. Freddy versus uh, Jason, August 2003. What a year. What a year for 2000s closing. Well, and you know what happened uh, in March in between there, 2003? Uh, what? We started that gosh darn war over in Iraq. <gasps> the second one. That's yeah, right. part two. Yeah, man. Uh, and this is also within the world we find out is one year after the plane crash. So if we're doing a little timeline here, I think it's like spring of 2001 pre nine 11, but this is existing. We're still pre nine 11. Wow. Wait. So uh, wasn't there supposed to be a, a fifth plane that was going to the, I'm trying, or a fourth plane because there's the two in the World Trade Center, the United 93, and wasn't there also supposed to be another one or something? Well, then when think, one went into the Pentagon, that's right. Yes, yes. Okay, but there wasn't a fifth one. I'm or so they say. Final destination. What? I'm just thinking if I I thought I remember that there was supposed to be an, another plane that was going to go. I guess the United 93 was heading toward the Capitol building of the White House or something. This is dark. I'm not trying to go to this. No, place, I, I was just wondering if there was another plane that was supposed to go up and people were supposed to die. Oh, all la final destination. You this know, is dark. No, no. <laughs> you're making a point that I think this movie raises, which is like when they're in the car and they're all sharing their stories about near-death experiences, it reminded yeah. me of how people would talk about um, 9-11 over the next year, which would be like, you know, so-and-so was supposed to dip the D, but they did yeah. it. And like, th- yeah. that's like a lot of times how that was framed as like what could have happened. So uh, for you to wonder that, that's fine, my man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, friend. 
the we also get at the beginning that delicious trope of the newsman repeating the thing that happened in the first movie. And these are all real news people. I I learned too. Are local you? news people from Canada? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! For real? Yeah. <gasps> What are they like conspiracy journalists or something? No, I think they were like regular just journalists that were down to do be in the movie. Oh, well, you know, that's my pet peeviest of pet peeves with acting in movies is when I go to a movie and I go, I have to sit there and go, wow, Wolf Blitzer seems as comfortable lying about. I know an alien evasion is anything I like it just it, it's a, 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 a uncanniness a canny uncanny thing that just makes my skin feel weird yeah and he's in Skyfall Wolf Blitzer talking about the bomb that goes off at MI6 or and it does feel like wait a minute there is no difference in delivery between that and whatever stuff you're doing in the situation room wolf yeah and I tried to get in that. Uh, I don't know if you heard me when I said the Pentagon crash. They play a crash, crash to the Pentagon. I said, or so they say. Whatever. Oh right, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I don't mean to make it sound like. And Wolf Blitzer lied to us about David Koresh. Wolf Truther. Yeah, Truth Teller. Loose Changester. Gosh, remember Loose Change. We used to be able to say that all the time without people looking sideways. I know. And now sideways, because that movie sideways, we can't say <laughs> sideways. <laughs> um, well, so on. we get a little bit of buildup before this yeah. big crash. And uh, you get what you think are your your characters for the movie. A, a car full of four teens or whatever. Oh, the little shot, the little graphics that you see, you mean? Oh, no, sorry. Just the main girl and her three friends. And you think these are all going to be your main people, I think, you know. Okay, so I'm a total dummy. I didn't catch that until I read Brantley's notes, which was that that's what the filmmakers were going for, is that they wanted it to be, uh, they were going for Psycho, where you think that, that assortment of characters is going to be Moving on, I, I think now it makes sense. I should have thought that those characters in the car with her were going to be a part of the gang, but then as soon as they got actually killed, it just didn't cross my mind because maybe they were so thinly set up. But I now I realize that's really funny. When I read Brantley's notes, I was like, oh, that's actually really clever to make then the guy just a complete archetypal stoner and her friend just the complete archetypal bimbo. So you don't even have to worry about what they're going to be for the rest of the movie because they're going to be killed. Like, that's clever. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, who is your favorite of that Motley crew of her friends? Oh, boy. Motley crew is right. The whole time Amanda and I were like, what? how do these four people hang out together? You know, what's going on here? Also, the, there's just something about the editing or something in this too that, you know, and the way that the people are shot in cars, but they show uh, the big log truck first, the first time they show it, then they cut immediately to the interior of the pregnant woman's car. And Amanda goes, is she driving that log 
because <laughs> she's got her hand in her belly. And just, I just love this, like, just so pregnant woman hogging logs all across Canada as a job. Uh, yeah, I guess later when um, her water broke in the jail cell, when they run her out of the prison, you can see that truck back there. She rode that in. We'll take my car. Yeah. And it's the truck. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, 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 the guys before the, the, the person that was killed, the girl is like so crude in front of the dad. She's yeah. making jokes about how like they're horny and, uh, you know, yeah. they, uh, and, uh, they're going to spring break. Just, whether you were alive at the time and have forgotten or for people who weren't alive at the time, Matt, the year 2003 was when Girls Gone Wild was in not just the zeitgeist, uh, in the universe, uh, yeah, throughout the universe. Um, and it's like knocked off in the first like five minutes of this movie. The like. I know kids going to spring breaks has been forever, but this sort of like the blurring of the line of girls gone wild as a thing that kids go off and do. And then what the parents watch later as sexual, like when I saw that moment, I'm like, that's not, you wouldn't see a joke like that between that's so graphic. You might have like, of course, the girl's friend is a little bit more body. Right. But then they go out on the road and it's just like in the truest girl, girls gone wild style, like <laughs> lifts up her shirt. And I was like, oh God, this was such a vile time. I know. I think it, it just, you always hear that post 9-11 thing thrown around, but I think it really was. Everybody was just like, oh, bucket word. Yeah. Dead. It was a new kind of fear. Like hadn't been around since the cold war, you know? And yeah. And like what's more, cause I've been thinking about this. I think what's even what's maybe, uh, you know, I didn't live totally aware in the cold war, but because there was no, There was nothing to like gird us because it's like if if um the nineties was sort of about like nihilistic nihilism because it as a style, yeah. which is great because I do think it was stripping away a lot of the surface stuff that got built up and <laughs> it was for the better. But then what happened was was like then when 9-11 happened, any sort of like genuine connect that just seems so outdated or uncool so to it was yeah. just like we didn't have the tools to like bring it back so then all we had was the nihilism yeah but then it wasn't yeah. even in style it it wasn't <laughs> stylistic nihilism it was just like oh we're all unhappy uh like i don't know to like uh it's not necessarily like spiritual isn't the right word, but there was just no like something to go to that like girded people. Uh, you know what I mean? Is that yeah, I definitely know what you mean. When I watch movies of that era that aren't like say 
outright comedy, like old school or something or Anchorman, there is something, uh, yeah, empty about it or, or I don't know what it is either. It feels bleak. It feels, um, oh, cynical maybe is the word. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You could say that like, it's a little, um, you could view comedy a little pre and post uh, South Park, I think. And South Park is awesome. That's not, it's like the thing that happens where a good thing comes along and then people rip it off and it's the bad version and it, it's what sucks. But it seems like that happened that when now the people who could just write a really fun final destination movie have to have comic moments, they got to be, before the son goes into the dentist office, he says, and mom, if I wake up and my pants are undone, dent a bit, I'm like, oh, yeah, that it's weird. Like, do you, you know guys think it's like? that uncool to have a moment where like the mom's like, have a good time or, you know, be careful there. Like okay. The, mom. When, <laughs> like when the, the second in command to the bully or the nerd tries to be funny for the bully. So it was kind of a dark <laughs> and cynical time. So a lot of the movies go like people want, they want darkness. They want, you know, cold, edgy comedy, but they don't know how to do it. You know, they yeah. just think that means being shocking. I think the nerd wearing something. the letterman's jacket, I call it. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think this movie is a huge, uh, like sinner in that sense, no. because it's having a good time, but I know what you mean about this era. Yeah. 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 And look, I like love the movie It's fun. And, uh, so it didn't, get it down and also it was just like cool to see something in the 21st century that is like on film it looks right. different it looks cool yeah um, it's a nice little like era we still got for like that first eight years before stuff really kind of became and a lot digital. of practical effects too like the kid being squashed by the pane of glass yeah. And I, I am, I have Brantley's notes open. I was peeking at them and that the first time they didn't get enough blood. So they packed the dummy with more blood <laughs> and explosives. And also they wanted the kids, the writers wanted him to be 11 or seven or eight originally. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that would be that 2003 brutality that you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Uh, well then also another fact about the and we can talk about the car crash right now the like uh they used 200 actual picture cars so to your point about using practical stuff um let me close the door right here real quick with Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With and rest. He's back. Uh, one thing. What? I lo- well, I love that they have all those cars and you get to meet all these characters simply by them driving by the main car. It is one of the strangest introductions to characters I've ever seen. Also, they managed to get a car where someone's doing Coke, a car where someone's doing pot and a car where someone's drinking beer. (laughs) So it's just like this road is like, wow, this is party central road. I mean, it was filmed on Vancouver Island. I could see that being a fun party. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'll say for me that like sequence, I I found out later in Bentley's Palmer's notes directed by uh, originally a stunt coordinator. Mm -hmm. And then he became a second unit director. And then this was his first, film and wow that sequence is really i know it ain't up there with like mad max it's pretty astonishing and especially for 2003 i think it is and the boldness of of that thing you were talking about introducing characters driving by and the fact that I was clocking who each character is, how they were being introduced, it was genuinely like staggering to me. I was like, this is. And then when I found out it was a second unit director and a stuntman, I'm like, oh, this is his whole line of work is going yeah. and shooting the shoe leather that they then put in an action sequence. And then another director puts his name on like he's he knows how this stuff works. And so it is just um choices that are really spectacular like those low angle the camera that's just like low to the street and it's in the morning and there's kind of that rainy mist that goes on a street that the sun hits and so it's kind of like all the tires get to kind of run through this like moisture it's just like is really it looked like um i mean duel is just one of my favorite spielberg movies and i felt like it was like taking duel and trying to add to it. of just like, what if it was Dennis Weaver plus six other Dennis Weavers and other cars and, and they have to face a threat. It was just, um, and I know when uh, death proof came out, uh, Tarantino was talking about how like, Oh, action chase car chases now are mainly CGI, which is like the dumbest thing on the world. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, but he was saying, Oh, the only good car crash uh, or uh, good uh, car sequences were Terminator 2 and Final Destination 2, that opening uh, crash. Yeah, um, it's expertly done. And and it maybe also explains why a lot of the human scenes are not so good because <laughs> you're dealing with the, not, you know, not to generalize, but maybe this is a stunt coordinator and someone who doesn't have as much experience with the acting part of it. I also thought that that was my second thought. I was, was like, it? Oh, yeah. that's why the filmmaking in those sequences is good. Oh, that's why. Yeah. I, there was never 
a simple curiosity about what's going on between that girl and the cop at all. Like what, no. what, what do they feel about each other between this? Not even explored, but what were you going to say? Sorry, sorry. Well, only that they, they then kind of like meet each other again and there's a De Palma camera swirl around it. So it does feel like He's pure trying. technique, but that, that if they would have lost that opening scene with the dad, and just opened on the freeway and you meet these four kids in the car, then you meet all the other people and then it gets right into the crash. Cause you meet the dad later, you know, I think it would also help cause it was kind of slow going. Cause you are taken out of it. I was, why is the daughter's friend talking so strangely to this yeah. dad? And yeah, it You're, made me, yeah. it just took me out a little. Your thought of like opening it inside the car is actually really, I mean, that's great. Cause it would be, scary it would feel like you're already in the ride uh and you didn't choose to get on the ride you're like fuck oh shit like that would be that would have its own like fear yeah yeah we don't learn anything in those scenes other than they're going on spring break right i mean you could get that out in the car easily enough yeah it seems really just to serve the purpose of having that dad get introduced but then it's not like he becomes fully um and you know the idea of a parent and the usefulness of a parent might be uh considered between parts two and three (laughs) similar similar to oh do we need to have her go through a devon sawa thing where they think it's weird that she's clued into this no they understand it because everybody's seen final destination one similarly it's, okay. It's like peanuts. There's no peanuts. <laughs> We're cutting the fat. I like it. Um, also, somebody explained to me once that Fast Times has like the peanut. Fast Times at Ridge Mountain High has the peanut structure, which is like you never see the parents. Yeah. The only thing you get is Ray Walston as the teacher, Mr. Hand. Yeah. And there's a yeah. brief moment where um, uh, uh Jennifer Jason Lee's mom is saying goodnight to her and like closing the bedroom door. But the fact that you only see her for a moment, it actually calls out how you're like, never oh, see funny. them and stuff. Um, oh. The, the, uh, you know, who you never see the parents into Bugsy Malone. <laughs> They're babies. <laughs> what if Bugsy Malone's parents are babies? <laughs> um, the, uh, um, Sorry, guys, your audio didn't go out. I was just yeah, looking at Yeah, I bet you thought it did. <laughs> um, Wait, Bugsy Malone. So the parents should have been full grown, but they were they play the babies. Is that what you mean? <laughs> no, if the idea is almost like Benjamin Button or something, that Scott Bayo as a 12-year-old in, in a, a... Sorry, uh, Bugsy Malone. Bugsy Malone. Yeah. Uh, goes home and visits his parents, his elderly parents. They're babies. Okay. Yes. And so <laughs> when he marries Tallulah and they have a child, though, it's an old person. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the original Benjamin Button. Now we know where Fincher got it. He sat in Bugsy Malone. He was literally, hey, now this needs to be explained. <laughs> um the um yes uh quick introduction with all the characters like you said there's the woman with the sig that's kind of like a clove 
Virginia Slim. Yeah, that Virginia Slim stuff that was marketed to women, but like in the 70s, maybe the 80s. But it had a early 21st century clove touch, didn't it? Wasn't it like brown like she's... I guess, but I, I when I think of a clove cigarette smoker, I think of like a high school teenager, not this character they're trying to make out to be some kind of modern woman, <laughs> yes. businesswoman. They also were very unclear... <clears throat> She was just in the costume and had the <laughs> hair and makeup of someone that would have been on an like uh, advertising team. But, but they just such strange casting. I read that that girl joined the cast super late, so maybe they had trouble casting that role or something. Oh, or that yeah, like uh, somebody uh, dropped out. We lost Linda Florentino. Ah, that's who it should be. <laughs> or like Dana Delaney. Yes, get a Delaney in there. I mean, I think there's a lot of... Um, or Roz from 9 to 5. There's a, a quotia that uh, um, when you're shot in Canada, right, of doing local Canadian actors. So yes, for me right. to presume that it was Linda Florentino might not be right. That's right. Well, you know, it should have been is that short-haired brunette from Mr. Mom that works for the ad agency. <laughs> I was watching an episode of uh, Three's Company on two beers like a couple of weeks ago and uh, a face popped and Leslie was with me and a face popped up and there was a face from uh, the ad agency at night uh, at Mr. Mom. Oh, I know who it was. It was the bald guy with the glasses, right? Yes. Yes. I remember that episode. And I said to Leslie, I quoted as I no. Lie to him. He likes it. He likes it. it. <laughs> <laughs> what did he play in, in Three's Company? I'm trying to remember. Oh, you know, fussy pants. <laughs> <laughs> he could only play a, a, a fussy pants. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, 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 <laughs> I gotta say that, um, the, uh, When I did have a curiosity, I don't want them to explain this, but when she now Devin Sawa has had that premonition and she has had that premonition, a bad franchise would try to explain that. So I'm not saying the movie should do this. Let's just you and me, Matt Mm. wonder like, yeah. Why does that person have a premonition? Do you think? Well, this movie got it wrong, I think, because in the first one, they don't beat you over the head with it, but they show you that Devon Sawa has a number of things that are catching like his curiosity. So the way his mom rips off that tag, he sees like his birthday is the same as the flight and all that stuff. Yeah. This girl has most of her coincidental visions during her vision. So oh, I mean, I don't even really make sense. It's my least favorite part of this movie is that her visions just become dead zone. That's what it is. Where it's yeah. just like, she can just now see what's the point of that. That is so dumb. And yeah. especially when they explicitly set it up as you're going to see clues in the physical world. And then they immediately go to her scene fantasy stuff. I'm like, yeah. And all of them too. Cause the, the funniest line of the movie and Amanda was cracking up at this is 
a man with hooks is going to kill you. Yeah. Get on the phone. A man with hooks is going to kill you because they saw shadow visions. I mean, I guess that was like the one time they tried it. It was stupid as shit. So uh, I liked in the first one that it was all these kind of things that you would actually see in real life as a sign, you know, numerology and things like that, that you could interpret. Yeah. Because it's uh, then you can, as an audience member go, Oh, that person, this is still in reality, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could Could choose to believe. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, like, why do you think, Devin Sawa gets that premonition and not. Well, they kind of explained that it's there for everyone. You just have to see it. And he circumstantially, he just kind of sees it. I think he's just one who can and anyone can. Okay. Yeah. And this one, they make it seem like it's some kind of gift or clairvoyancy or something. Not exactly, but they, they skew it more to that side and it doesn't work as well. And is that because death is like slipping up and kind of leaving breadcrumbs or is it not, they don't explicitly say this. It's like the force of good or whatever. That's pushing Devin Sawa to read the clues. Yeah. I'm not really sure. I don't know about that. I mean, yeah, that question then like looms so large then by the end when she's just actively just like closing her eyes and going like, let me tap into my vision scape or whatever. And then you're like, what the fuck is that? How does she, why does she have this and not the other friends who went through this, you know? Yeah. Um, But, uh, um, having, um, that whole just like, setup of because you know what would have been good about being able to read signs and reading signals it would have matched with the two other really good parts of a final destination movie which is like it's giving you signs that your own eyes read so like in that opening accident with the car you're clocking all the things that you're like okay this could go wrong that could go wrong and then um and then with the rube goldberg things it's all about clocking like yeah, how things are going to pay off. So it could have just added to that because that's my favorite thing about the these um, Final Destination movies is when you start seeing, and just talking about the first two that we've watched, like I know the term uh, uh, um, pure cinema gets used, but for me, that is... The, that sequence and then the the kill sequences are pure cinema because it's yeah. a book can't do it, a play, a piece of art, even TV on a budget level couldn't ever really, and on a obviously graphic level, but like it really is pure cinema. You're seeing how something, your brain is telling you how things are coming together purely by what is being edited and shown within the frame. It is just so cool. These movies, I, that's the most fantastic things about these movies. Yeah. I, I have a feeling I'm going to love this franchise, but for what it is, which is a series of set pieces that are just dangling by the th- rest of the thread of the movie, you know? And, and I don't care really. I, I'm not asking, I never thought these movies were going to be great movies, but I think the more successful they'll be is how quickly they can get from one to the other, or at least how well they can string them together where I think the first one strung them together much better, 
but I think I, maybe I like the set pieces in this movie better. So it's a, it's a little bit of, you know, Oh dude, that's so well said. Yes. I like the string that the pearls are on in the first one, but I like the pearls more. Of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And to your point, I think maybe that's like where the, 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 the alley to your point about Ali Larder is maybe that's where it gets like gummed up a bit because I don't think she's necessary for this sequel, for it to continue forward. No, Especially she's like jarring, you know, and they do, she a, doesn't fit it. And they do a weird thing where the newsman kind of a, the, the conspiracy theorist guy on the new show lays out what the death design premise then a couple other characters do when they're getting interrogated by the police. Tony Todd is going to later. It's really weird that they, they're keeping her around to help as like the soothsayer, like you like because there's so many other people who have bought it. It's just a really it's it's unnecessary. I I Yeah, Tony Todd at this point, I actually had to ask myself. Is that character just the candy man? Is is he's just this <laughs> who is this guy? His credits, it's yeah, so it'll funny. just be credited candy man. And like all the red lighting in there, and it just turned into a complete haunted mansion in that. Did morgue. he move from like a morgue to like a funeral home? He moved from like a morgue to like a civil war fort. <laughs> What is that trajectory? Is that up or down? <laughs> it depends on how big a history buff you are. <laughs> um, before we move um, past the, the first accident, uh, in Brantley's notes, the filmmaker, the screenwriter was excited to be able to do another Final Destination movie. And he thought initially a good opening accident he later came to do a car accident because he was driving and he saw uh, a truck with lumber on it. And he was like, uh -huh. yikes, that could be something. But the initial idea is pretty good, Matt. It's a hotel fire. Yeah, I know. I wonder if they'll use that again because he comes back to direct the fourth one. I think it goes back to James Wong on the next one. Yeah. I'm surprised if we see that in the fourth one. Yeah, so the director of part two couldn't, the directors of part one and the team behind part one couldn't do part two. And then, so they got somebody to do part two. Then that guy wanted to do part three, but was on something else. So they got the part one people back for the three. And then when part four came along, they went back to the two guy. This is like the Bond franchise did this a lot. They just kind of had a stable of two to three guys that when the main guy couldn't do it, then other two would come in. It's also maybe like the Nicholas Myers of the Star Trek uh, movie franchise of like, oh, okay, yeah. we'll have them for Wrath of Khan. We'll have them for the Voyage Home. We'll have them for Undiscovered Country. Yeah, same with McTiernan on Die Hard too. <laughs> no, quite the opposite of that. <laughs> he said, he said Die Hard too, like T-O-O, -O, but I would oh, say yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which Final Destination 2 kind of mixed up, messed up. They could have done a T-O-O. Final Destination 2. <laughs> um, so the one after the accident, yeah, then they go into the um uh going into the the station, and it is the year anniversary of the airplane premonition. So that is funny that death goes by our Gregorian calendar. Yeah. Death has got a real 
uh, he's kind of got OCD or something, you know? I mean, I think he does. You could say just like the fact that he's like so tapped into being like that tube uh, on the, that compressor is pretty loose. Yeah. Instead of uh, checking it a thousand times, I'm just going to let it fly off instead. I think death is like a serial killer who ultimately really wants to be found out and leave trails. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was people understand like, it's death. They they get it right away. Everyone understands. <laughs> it made me think of, um, did you ever see Serial Mom? No. It's just the funny joke of it is she kills people, but like if they're like discourteous and uncouth <laughs> and impolite and rude. And so I like to think Final Destination is like that. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> well, you shouldn't be sticking your head in the elevator doors, okay, kids? It's just like the reprimanding yeah, I mean, parent. They, he kills the douchebag that won the lottery first, but then kills the 15-year-old after he makes a really snappy little stupid comment about the dentist. I mean, you could say that there is some, uh, yeah, the thing that they accuse the uh, those other slasher movies of, that there's some morality, like having an accident happen because somebody threw a lit joint out the window and it started a fire. I was like, Oh, that's a little, oh, that's hidden. right. That's how this whole thing started. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> that pothead started the fire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> falling logs, pregnant gals. <laughs> oh, and I'll, you know, now bring up something that could potentially be dark, but the falling logs thing. And then the posts through people and stuff. That's how Alan Pakula died. Right. Filmmaker. What? I didn't know that. How'd he die? What he happened? was driving behind uh, oh. a truck that had something come off it and then go through the windshield and kill him. I didn't know that. How old was he? In his, uh, I think, late 50s. He's still. Oh, my God. Probably had a good couple of mo- uh, Yeah, I guess we didn't talk about that when we talked about consenting adults. Oh, I never knew that. Oh, I never thought about Yeah, there would have been a couple decades more of his films. Yeah, his last movie was The Devil's Own. And somebody like him, I, you know, he could have had a couple good thrillers still in him. He was I doing like- he would have had a Pelican comeback. Brief. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the 90s, ultimately, you couldn't get away with those kind of paranoia 70s thriller ones as much anymore. Although we just mm. watched The Firm the other night. I didn't realize how much that's like a 70s movie. It's not very- dynamic it's a lot of just busy work and faxing and stuff like that which is great but it's Sidney Pollock doing like three days of the condor again a little bit right basically yeah yeah, with a jazz score (laughs) oh that gruesome all piano score is perfect in in the for yeah uh it could be fun to do a a a a pack oola where we do like a pack of pakula movies because clute all the president's uh-huh. men and um, um, parallax. Or, yeah, yeah. Those three. He did one in the eighties. That's like Secret Lover or something with. Um, uh, but I've never seen that, so I, I can't. Speak. Or, or if we just did, oh, conspiracy straight thrillers. Up, yeah, straight up conspiracy thrillers. So it doesn't have to be life and death necessarily. Although these movies sort of are, but yeah, like. Some cool 90s, you know, the firm, the Pelican Brief. And then you got the 71, 71, Three Days of a Condor. Um, yeah. 
Oh my God. Yeah, but to do Grisham's men. too would be fun. Cause that's yeah, some Grisham's and maybe we put the Clancy's in there a little bit, one or two. And why not a Tarot? We, yeah, we yeah. could do nineties bestseller adaptation, but you that's know, like, good. yeah, that covers all of those. Like, yeah. Pelican brief firm, uh, presumed innocent. Yeah. What are some of the other ones? Just spitballing the client, the, uh, oh, oh, we could. I mean, uh, 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 what's his butt? Um, the Jurassic Park dude. Uh, oh, Crichton. Crichton has like disclosure and stuff. Like I've never in the nineties. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> he got Dennis Miller there as a real wise ass. I love that this podcast could potentially go from just pure slasher to what is. Theoretically, kind of the polar opposite, which is just legal thrillers. <laughs> well, the Southern lawyer would bond them all. Who, me? Oh, I declare they better portray me and my kind in a sympathetic light because we stay up nights sometimes sleeping. What? I stay up nights sleeping trying to get this work done. Oh, now... Uh, Southern Lawyer, I hope this isn't an insulting question to ask, but were you created by John Grisham? Yes, as a matter of fact, I was. Um, he consulted with uh, Crichton. Okay. Turo. Sure. And and I was the perfect blend of their two mentor sensibilities. Okay. Yeah, boy, through a Grisham novel called The Seven Lawyer, spelled S-U-V-E-A-N, okay. The Seven, Seven Lawyer. And spoiler alert, I won my case. As a matter of fact, the judge, he says, I find an order of not especially the plaintiff, but his lawyer, what a smart suit. In fact, I'm going to give you the court cases from the courts next door on either side. You win those, too. So, the lawyer, have you watched that uh, uh, Netflix uh, Murtaugh murder mystery? It's about a South Carolina family, a bunch of good old boys who pull the system, pull the strings of the system in their favor. Oh, those poor little victims. It's just the one where that guy has the really dark eyes and the blonde hair. Yes. He's kind of got like good? pig eyes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Don't you think? I object. Just mean the, little pig eyes. Is that good? I hey, I ripped through those three hours, bing bang, boom, and I'm uh not even the biggest true crime head, Southern Hold lawyer. On. You told that thought I gotta go, my friend Matt has some questions. <laughs> Cause I've been I've been watching hi, I'm back. Uh hi. I, I uh I've had real uh fatigue with true crime because they always draw it out too long now and they never stick the landing. But do you think this one's good and that maybe I should go back in? Funny you should say that, Matt, because that was my thought when I watched it. I was like, they could have made this five hours and they're making it three and it didn't Ooh. feel like, uh, yeah, things were being stretched or whatever. Um, okay. okay. I tried to watch the one that was about uh, um, that was on Hulu about the William oh, and Mary, Sarah, Sarah Lawrence, Sarah Lawrence, sorry, William and Mary, uh, Sarah Lawrence, uh, college sex cult thing. 
And dude, middle of episode two, I won't tell you what it is. I, Leslie and I were watching it. I had a full on tap out. I can't do this. I am out of here. And like, and Leslie was very understanding, but I, whoa. So if people want to see, you know, uh, hey, you want us to talk about society? Well, we're talking about a <laughs> episode two of uh, this docu series that scared me, Matt. It scared you. That's why you stopped. They yeah, were showing what? video of real life video of what somebody did in one of these uh, culty sessions. Oh. Um, you can just advance thirty seconds if people don't want to hear. Uh, he took these like pliers and he like clamped it to the person's tongue and was getting them to like submit to him. And I was like, whoa, this is really far. Oh, yeah. But uh, the documentary, you know, uh, I will say, was like very tastefully done and was the most tasteful like true crime thing I've seen in like years where I'm really? like, it's not salacious. It's not tawdry. So when that moment happens, it probably is more impactful because... I am feeling the empathy for the situation people are in. It's really good documentary filmmaking. It was just too much mm. for, for little Polly. I understand. I watched the trailer for that and I was just like, this just looks bleak and sad and too dark. Give me final destination where they're yeah, I mean, it is arms pretty... on a picnic table. Well, it's also like, it is kind of final destination is the opposite of like, real human violence because the idea that this isn't even connected to a body like there's no consciousness yeah. that is like walking around doing this to people um, yeah and no one did anything wrong in these movies there's never like a, a morality to this really other than yeah the douchey people tend to die first but it's not like Devin Sawa or this main girl in this one you know, like made some fatal character mistake or something. No, you're right. You're right. And even the way that like, they'll take this as an opportunity to show how characters react to death. So like, yeah, that first kill after the, and I love that this one comes so soon after the car accident, like in the first final destination, it was like plane crash thing. Good half hour before the first Rube Goldberg thing happens. This one is like, we know what the people want. Yeah. We Let's know people like someone. it in kitchens because the best yep. one of the first one was in the kitchen. So we'll do it again. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, um, uh, it hits the ground running with that. Oh, oh, but the thing I was going to say, like, I, I, you know, they'll do moments like this, like the guy who won the lotto after he escapes death. Of course he would just go and buy the dumbest shit. And then the druggie, like he escapes death. And of course that he'd be like dirt bagging it up with like two prostitutes and like watching himself on the news. Like I do feel like all that stuff is like character wise. Again, it's like the first one where the ensemble is maybe more interesting than the main characters because they get to be more colorful. But yeah, Uh, I started to to enjoy the, uh, the drug guy after a while. At first he was annoying, but then something I don't know. Maybe it's the way he died with this look on his face like a ooh. Okay, so I had to look up this actor's name because I had the same experience with you, Matt. I was like, who's this fuckhead? By the middle, I'm like, God, this guy's pretty good. He's got it all. Near the end of the movie, I'm like, hands down favorite character of this movie. I love this guy. (laughs) And then you could tell the movie felt this way, the filmmakers too, because he gets this entire scene at the end where he's saying, hey, if I die, 
I want you to throw out all my drugs because I don't want my mom to know that I was using. He gets more of a scene between her than the cop and the girl does ever. They never have one moment where they're like, you know, I had to do to do to D. Yeah. But if I survive this, you and me someday are going to dot that. This guy, he gets a fall like right before the big sequence. The movie loves this dude. He's the best. Yeah. Jonathan Cherry is the actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of that? Yeah. That kitchen kill. Pretty fun. Like I said, the plenty of red herrings and yes. you think it's going to end there and it doesn't, you know? Um, yeah. I, the, the nice thing about the fire escape kill is that I think if you're familiar with fire escapes, they actually do stop about like a foot or two above the ground. Right. So that feels like, Oh, okay. It is over. And then it goes down into his head. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it does have that little lip thing. That's like, so death was just like, maybe there was some uh, uh, um, molding up at the top that it just kind of broke in that last moment. To, I mean, we've talked about how Final Night, or did we talk about how this was um, sort of like a, an OSHA work training video? <laughs> no. Like accidents can happen. Uh <laughs> 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 it's like <laughs> you know bad billy didn't clean up yeah. after himself and slipped on spaghetti <laughs> he only seems to care about solid gold wristwatches and horseshoe finger rings <laughs> but then they did that would be a black and white and then they'd have a color version of like a pretty girl comes in and like sweeps up the spaghetti that she yeah. spilled it's like Mm-mm, i put yeah. the spaghetti in the trash when i work at walmart <laughs> Did I tell you when I um, I worked at Walmart and uh, in my job training couple days, they showed us some videos, you know, like OSHA videos and stuff. But they also showed one that was like, um, there's going to be some people who don't love Walmart as much as us. <laughs> and <laughs> they're going to want to assumption, friend. And they're going to want to have you join a union. Oh, they are not friends of ours. They don't care about this Walmart family. And that in true of these videos, black and white footage of like somebody getting in their car, like somebody banging on their like window to like with pamphlets. (laughs) Oh, my God. Evil. Just evil. Oh, my. Your common communist is going to try to get you into a union. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. Um, I also love during that little kitchen sequence, some tight ass early oddies or rap rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the music and this also the closing credit song was by an artist named Jude. Are you familiar with this artist? No. He's big in like Largo before it was at the Cornet Theater, just when it was the Cabaret Club. Really? I wow. s- see him in the late 90s. He was kind of a singer-songwriter, soloist. He played a classical guitar, but folk style, and then did an album that was kind of more heavily produced. And he was just the coolest thing. But I don't know, like maybe 10 years ago or so, I learned that he had gone kind of conservative and a friend of mine hooked us up because he wanted to sell all his comic book collection and thought I might be interested. And I did he call them call. devil pages or something. Uh, he <laughs> might've, I don't know why he was trying to get rid of them or what, but I, he kind of was like very 
aggressive with it. I remember. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I'll take the call. I don't know that I'm buying comic books. I haven't for decades. Um, and he was just kind of like, I need to know you you want to buy these or not, you know? And it was just weird. And to hear his music <laughs> pop up and I haven't heard it in so long because I was a fan of his music. I think he's a really talented musician. That I will a, say, I come to this podcast for the friendship, <laughs> but then I, Secondly, I come to hear information like that. That is so delights me that the guy who sang the Final Destination two credits was weird about the comic books he was trying to sell. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't tell if it was because he just doesn't want this young buck, whoever Matt is, pulling one over on him and not getting top dollar for his comic collection, or he was just like. I'm in dire straits of need of dire straits needs of money. And I, I can't afford to let these go at anything other than top dollar. What's where, 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 what's he now? I don't know. I last, I spoke to him. He was hawking comic books and that was the only time I've spoken to him. What if ironically he became like a comic book magnate? Oh, he's like Kevin Feige's right hand man. Yeah. But he's like a Catholic conservative preacher who, uses comic book references. So everybody's like, wow, he's cool. And when Kang and Thanos very much like Christ and God. Yes. That's, that's a, as far as I can go. You know, yeah. I, it is, uh, uh, to the credit of the, um, Catholic church, uh, you know, mostly to their detriment, do they hold on to, uh, antiquated traditions but yeah, one percent of the time it's to their benefit, and it's that I don't have to see a guy in a polo shirt, Ugh. tucked into khakis, playing an acoustic guitar in front of me on a Sunday morning. I'm like, boy, you are. Bring right. me a big crucified Christ right. in front of me with a guy wearing a big gown. Yes, spray, and, uh, and- uh, putting incense all over us. That I will. That kind of weirdness I'm down for. <laughs> I'm with you, and for a guy who's short but intensive exposure to religious was that kind of California born again evangelical Christianity where the preacher wears Hawaiian shirts and makes really stupid jokes, but everybody eats them up. Well, it's all in alignment, right? You can see how it went. It was like they came out to the West coast in the sixties, seventies, either got burnt out or didn't find something they were looking for. Found God was like, Hey, I still like my groovy Kadar and groovy log hair. Yeah. And then I know so many, the, uh, my yeah generation of who grew up with in California with born again, hippie parents. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> and I think Tina Fey calls them preacher laughs where the bar level, uh, of, the bar is so low that you eat it up. And I've started to notice that with Disney movies too, because I've been watching them with Glenn and, in Frozen, there's a song where Anna sings like, I don't know if I'm elated or gassy, but it's probably somewhere in that zone. And you could just see a mom somewhere going like, oh, how funny because I, oh, well, I get gassy sometimes and I didn't expect that in a Disney movie. Oh, God. Yeah. It's okay. We can laugh at that. I, I love the Frozen movies. They're, they're a true delight and they brought me so much joy and entertainment. But... <laughs> there is just those Josh Whedon-y fucking isms that yeah. I hate so much in movies where it's like 
the moose will make a sound or something. I'll be like, uh, okay. and then a human will go, okay, so that just happened. Yes. It's like, you mean the whole movie is one big, so that just happened. This whole thing is fantasy. So you're taking this one moment to be kind of like, eh, ironic, weird a bit. Yeah. It's like, you seem to be pretty genuine about every fucking thing else. So I know. So, so, is that even a thing? Yes. Or, yes. Yeah. Moana has some of those too, where, oh, who's the most topical joke I've ever seen in a Disney movie? It's when Maui takes Moana's chicken. Hey, hey, I know all these movies so well. It's crazy. <laughs> I know what you're talking about too. <laughs> and signs her oar with its beak and goes, when you ride it with a bird, it's called tweeting. Oh. <laughs> oh, I did not catch that when I watched oh, Moana. My, oh my, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's no good. <laughs> it isn't, and uh, you know why people don't call that out as no good because most people like that they get it and they want to hold that little morsel to themselves. Mm, I got I it. So. Yeah, exactly. Fucking bullshit. This, you uh, but the music. Oh my gosh, Matt. Holy cow, the music of those Disney movies, they set me soaring. It's been tough. Uh, Glenn is obsessed, obsessed with Frozen. So I sleep at night and the songs are rolling through my head. And I can't, uh, there's only one of them that I, maybe one or two that I actually like from Frozen 2. I like uh, um, some things never change, like the feel of your hand in mine. Yeah, that's and good. I like the when the north wind. Meets yeah. the sea. But she's obsessed with Let It Go. All day long, she's going, Let you, Let you. She wants to play it. What? What's that? What is she saying? She's saying, Let It Go. She goes, <laughs> let, let you, Let you. So I've played it on my guitar. We got her this little karaoke machine that plays it. And she knows it comes from my phone. Like she knows I can turn on things with my phone. So she's always like pointing at the phone and going, Led you, led you, mama, mama. I love it. She's so sweet. Oh my God. I'm disappointed that this Zoom call, man, I didn't get to get my weekly dose of Glenn. I can scoot her in here at some point. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so after that kill, um, oh, the, there is a um, internet is the new microfilm <laughs> yeah. sequence. Uh and then when he looks at when the cop looks into it, but one of my favorite things in the movies is like when the pictures of the characters the first movie are just they're wearing the clothes from the first movie. Uh, it's like on set photos. It's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> you guys got sees this police uh, archive also has access to APEntertainmentNews.com. Uh, they had to pay for it to get rid of the watermark, though. <laughs> yeah, so it's a passing production. This cop subscribed to the wire services. Um, and then uh, I noticed, though, that, yeah, why does he do they? S- now, Brantley said there's no Devin Sawa in this, that he couldn't find confirmation of it. People say it had to do with contractual stuff. But Devin Sawa has gone on to say, I would love to be any in any of these sequels. If they brought me back, I would do it scream style. They could, you know, we could rejigger the canon. Oh, like Halloween. Like Halloween, yes. Yeah. Um, And uh, I thought this was really cool. He goes and sees Final Destination movies in the theater 
Because he's a fan. He just likes the movies. Yeah. They are really fun audience movies. Didn't you find it weird that he died from a falling brick? That just felt like, is that an inside joke or what What was that? Uh, Do you think he's like a descendant of uh, uh, Marv from Home Alone? <laughs> what if it. I didn't say from sense. Home Alone and I just said I was Marv. trying to put it together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I missed that. A brick is a little un- underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, very. Because um, there was another thing they were going to do. I forgot what it was, but. It should have been more, and they should have brought him back if they were going to kill him just to show him die, you know. And wouldn't um, a brick more fit with the girl drowning? She's a brick and, brick and I'm drowning slowly. Oh, how will that line up when I put these two files together? <laughs> it's going to be out of phase. Oh, what well. if it is in such perfect symphonic or uh, harmonic? pitch that uh we discover world peace i think it's i'd give it a 50 50 shot at that um so then they go to visit um ali larder yep um oh oh and so with ali larder popping into this here we've talked about with franchises how it's like the first sequel kind of has a little bit of a choice to go, hey, we're sticking with the characters in the first one or we're yeah. dispensing of them. You know, so it's like you could really look at all three, uh, the the main baddies. They each do their own thing with the first sequel. So Halloween into Halloween 2, you do get Lori, Jamie Lee Curtis playing Lori, and she's in it from be- she survived part one and part two. Mm-hmm. Friday 13th is... Alice survives. She's in the beginning of part two, but is killed in the first 10 minutes. So there's that bridge. Freddie is Freddie and Nancy. Nancy kills Freddie. Freddie comes back, but then there's no characters from the first Friday 13th. Um, Now I thought Ali wall, because I didn't remember the first time I watched this. I, I thought she was just going to show up in her padded room scene and I thought that was going to be like enough. Yeah. Even though I liked her performance and I didn't hate having her around. And it told me something of like, I guess unless it's scream where it's all about, like, I want to know what happens to Neff Campbell, like, and Courtney Cox and those kids, like, uh, just to have one character from the first one pop up in the second one for a scene is enough for me. I think. In I general. agree. Yeah. And what's with this Canadian healthcare system where she commits herself voluntarily and they give her one of the most high tech padded rooms. <laughs> oh yeah, they also, do. But like they do two of those get to her. They're like, what do you, why can't she have sharp objects? No, she doesn't want you to have them. And then she's like, yeah. and why is she in this padded? Why you guys put her in a padded room? Huh? No, she put herself in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's fine with an electrical device in there. But I like that she's two types of crazy, which yeah. is in her padded room. She has the strings uh, connecting things on a map. Craziness. How are those stuck up? Yeah. Pins? Uh, maybe because their pins. dads were rich. Yeah. Must have been. All her uh, metal sculpture money. Yeah. No, uh, well, you said, how are those stuck up? Uh, 
Um, friend of the uh, pod, our pod, Anthony Jesselnick, who did a Friday 13th part six episode. Somebody was like, pretty great Anthony Jesselnick joke here, if you want to hear it, uh, on Comedy Bang Bang that just goes under noticed by the people there, but probably listeners. And it is really funny. What is it? It's Scott Ackerman. It's Scott and Nathan Fielder and um, Anthony. And Scott says something like, yeah, Canada. Why is it so hard to get into Canada? And Anthony Jesselnik says, without missing a beat, have you tried listening to her early stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's really funny. Um, And now because Sawa's not back, you got these two like final girls talking to each other in a padded room. You don't see that every day. <laughs> it's true. Now this cop immediately believes her. There's none of that fussiness. He's on board with her. And then she sees some pigeons. And that's where this whole sign thing goes astray because the pigeons aren't even there. Yeah. Like she sees them in the reflection and then she turns around and they're not there. I, you also like what, what even the, when the pigeons are attacking the glass, he's still kind of like, to what end is this? He's already got, then there's a plastic puffer fish goes in his mouth and there's nitrous oxide. There's a drill. There's all these things. There's just, it's a little too much of an overload. you know. Yeah. So, so the dentist scene, maybe was your favorite of all, we already know maybe that wasn't the best kill for you. No, no. Although I did like his ultimate death on the street, but I. Oh, right. That's true. That's true. That maybe doesn't count as the kill. The dentist part doesn't count. Right. There's a death in the literary bond in the Hildebrand rarity where a person is killed by a poisonous puffer fish that they put while he's sleeping. She kills her abuser by sticking it down his throat and it puffs up. That is good. Yeah. That kid could have had, he came close to that if it had puffed up. I know. I was wondering if they got it from that or whatever, but they do. I think this, like, um, as far as the dark comedy moments of this movie goes, this is like my favorite dark comedy stuff because it, in this movie, they just find a way to pile on not just accidents that could happen, just like the worst shit about going to the dentist. especially for a teenager the way that kid gets all hooked up and he's just like trapped there and then the dentist says to the teenager you've been told you tell your mom that you've been smoking like these (sighs) very funny final destination i missed that line i didn't know Uh, that also when the pigeon crashed through the window and he comes out and it's like flapping around all wet he goes ah not this again i know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's uh, I love and then just the uh god damn it dentist office nobody likes them but they're rarely used to get the heebie-jeebies up in a movie because I think even filmmakers don't want to go there they just know it's just like such a awful place yeah I'm not a dental heebie-jeebie guy but this that scene where he was drilling it did give me the heebie-jeebies yeah I, I guess uh, what I mean is like when you can even because I'm in about to face tomorrow. 
session four of four with deep cleaning, uh, Matt. Oh. So when he brought out that big syringe and like shot it into his like jaw, I was like, Ooh, oh, I've had yeah. three of those. And, uh, yeah, what they do is they peel back my gum. They, and you know, they, uh, oh. put Novocaine in so they can peel back my gum and start scratching stuff out. Oh, okay. It. And, Maybe I am a, dental uh, but I can hear the scratching and stuff. Oh. So, and I was like, so when I was watching that, okay, so I don't like it, but I can tolerate it. Yeah. But seeing it in a movie is way worse for like, I don't, you know, a movie can enhance things, but the, um, I do think there's something particularly vulnerable about having an open orifice and somebody penetrated it with tools. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Is this when, does he say when the pigeon comes through, does he go, God damn it anyway? Because I've never heard that before. My dad used to say that all the time. That's a good, uh, God damn it anyway. Yeah. He'd go, God damn it anyway. He'd also say, God damn it all. And I was always extrapolating that as a kid to its literal conclusion of like, so damn it, anyway, no matter what, any way I can, it doesn't matter how I do it, I've got to goddamn it. And goddamn it all. Every bit of it. We have to goddamn everything. That's funny because I guess it wasn't enough just to say goddamn it. It needed that little... Uh, God damn it anyway. Yeah. My version of that is when I would mess up or hurt myself or something, I go... Uh, fuck me. <laughs> but that lost its power. And I just started like over the last couple of years when I do something wrong, I go, fuck me twice. <laughs> so that is my uh, already. So no joke when you're actually upset, you go, fuck me twice. Yes. If somebody was around, they would hear me go like, I'll bump something. I'll go, it'll go and I'll go, fuck me twice. It's just going to sound like you have kind of like a verbal tick, like some kind Tourette's. of sexual sadistic person. I'll yeah. say it in an elevator with the wrong person at some point. And uh, <laughs> fuck me twice. Fuck me twice. <laughs> fuck me twice, lady. Yeah, I start saying lady at the end because I need Your mother something sucks more cocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, the... Um, Oh, also the uh, the mom taking the kid to the to the dentist thing uh, yeah. just also reminded me my mom uh, would take me to the dermatologist in high school, and she sat in on one once, and it was the worst experience. Matt, she was like, you know, this dermatologist poked every pimple and zit on my face, oh. and when he would, he'd be done, I would look up in the mirror, and it would be like. You know, like the squib shots that are underneath the skin that you see? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, my God. It's like, I'm not trying to exaggerate. It would maybe be like 20 of those all over oh my, my face, God. just kind of like pooling down blood and stuff. And then he would dab it and it would kind of come back. That like, So it, that was the torture, was this fucking going to these dermatologists. Oh, and geez. my mom and I, we laugh about it now. But she sat in on one. I got through it. The dermatologist is like, well, I think we're all done here. And then my mom was like, I think he has some behind his ears. Oh, no. <laughs> so when that mom was out in the waiting room, I was like, that's the way it should be. <laughs> <laughs> a 
and then you're smashed by a giant pane of glass that doesn't quite shatter, but shatters the body. Yeah. How do you think that works, man? Uh, his death there. I'm not sure. If something just kind of comes down, it can just squish the body. I don't think so. <laughs> but I don't know. I can't say for sure. Well, and then after that kid dies, that's when they go visit Candyman and they learn only new life can beat death. Yeah. I don't know why he wouldn't have told them that one in the f- first movie. <laughs> yeah. Seems like something you could have told me yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would have really helped them the first time around. Why do you think he's just a little stinker? I think he's a little stinker. I think you're right. I think Candyman's a little stinker. He's a way to stink. And he pulls off uh, nipple rings too. Ichi, ouch. Oh God. Yeah. He's a sadist, sadistic little stinker. Um, the, then they go to that gas station and I've told you this for years, Matt. Skater kids are dangerous. They're no good. They're roughnecks. They're at yes, risk use. I cannot speak today. Well, I don't even want to say their names at youth risk. At, you, at risk youths, delinquents, juveniles. I do think that gas station scene, for whatever, like the way they set up, like I said, pure cinema, all these like traps, that gas station one was like kind of confusing and chaotic to me. Yeah. What happened there? It was like she realized like, well, it's it's the part where they, they do the leap of like, if he's saying that, then, oh, that woman who is pregnant, if the child survives it. And then somebody actually says, like, that seems like a leap. Uh, I'm not explaining what the chaos was, but that was the scene that was happening at the gas station. And it was a little bit of the this movie's Freddy is fire, Jason is water. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they go back to the... Uh, um, what was the character's name? I just was calling him Cocaine Strokes Dude. Yeah, I don't know what his name was. He reminded me of Pete Yorn, that <laughs> singer. <laughs> I remember, you know, before I left Iowa hearing like, oh, Peter Yorn is this piece of shit Nepo kid who uh, they didn't use that term, of course, at the time. Wait, but, is he a Nepo kid? Well, they were like, his dad's actually a big entertainment lawyer. And um, so, of course, he's got connections to be able to get into the music industry. And I was like, oh. And then a uh, couple of years moving to Los Angeles. Oh, I get an attorney at Morrison Yorn. <laughs> uh, I once saw Pete Yorn at an ATM. End of story. <laughs> and what was he like? Um. Interested in getting cash out of machine? What was his pin? <laughs> Y-O-R-N. <laughs> um, so then they get this whole group gathered in the apartment. Which seems like a really stupid idea if they believe that death is after them, which it seems like most of them do. Yeah. Uh, and that guy even says, like, well, stay away from us if you're about to die. So it did seem like a, a foolish plan. And then an actual like Rube Goldberg thing happens, like a ball hits a mouse trap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, you gotta go back to the to the original Rube Goldberg. Yeah. Um, but then they start um, safeguarding the apartment, and much like how 
The other one tricked me where I thought it was going to end with Devin Sawa uh, holding himself up in a cabin. Right. I thought this was going to be like, oh, a siege ending where now they're all oh, together yeah. and they're, nope. <laughs> they were just there for a bit left. That would be cool. It's like death is trying to infiltrate by popping floorboards or popcorn ceiling particles are going to come down and slowly kill them with asbestos over 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. And it just became like a, uh, it did have moments like that of like characters go, Oh, I have to step out for a smoke and stuff like that. But I don't know. My favorite stuff I like in this is when, um, a trope gets, uh, a slasher trope gets revisited, but just because it's death now, it just makes it entirely different. Yeah. Um, but the, this is also the, a man with hooks is going to kill you. And then there was a man with hooks. And uh, in Brantley Palmer's notes, it says that the actor ad-libbed that moment of smelling her hair. Yeah, I wouldn't quite call it an ad-lib. So <laughs> I wrote that, that when I wrote it down in my notes, I wrote uh, ad-lib in quotes. Yeah, something about that was too real. Where, uh, Sir, we're rolling. You shouldn't. I don't care if you're rolling or not. I'm still going to smell her hair. You don't pay me enough. I ought to get something out of this. Mm. What's that? Prell? Oh. I filmed something in Canada once where the male actor was asked to do something. And while he was doing it, he said in front of the whole crew and director, you guys aren't paying me enough for this shit. What was he doing? He's uh, in water. What? He was in like a lake. Oh, cold water. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. But I, you know, this movie follows all the rules of if you shoot a movie in Canada, you are a fool if you don't end it with this beautiful, huge lake and forest. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, real quick, this is opening a tab. Yeah. And we can cut this out if you want. But do you remember early on in the podcast, you told a story about a certain actor? You didn't use their name. You told me off mic farting during takes of a scene. And I'm wondering because circumstances have changed. Would you want to tell that story again? Sure. Now I'm a little, I got butterflies a little bit because I can't remember if when I told the story, I mentioned the source. And so when I tell the name, I don't, Want people then to go? Oh, but you don't I don't think I did. Source. Okay. I don't think you did because that doesn't sound familiar. But I remember, and the, the source admit- wasn't even there. But they got it from the person. As your podcast, I was there too. Uh, the person did witness it, and I will share it. Okay, because this would be like a long-term closure for a long-term listener of this show to know <laughs> who this is, and then for people who listen to this first. Then when they, if they go back and listen to the first, they'll be like, oh yeah. my God, I yeah. see how large of a deal this was. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't think I mentioned what film he was in, right? I don't No, remember. I wouldn't have because then it would have messed up. You would have figured out who the actor was. So yeah. I won't mention the movie, but... Because we should say this person has since passed away. Yeah, so that's why yeah. I can share this story about do did it Ray Liotta. <laughs> so <laughs> here's the story. Uh, Ray Liotta 
they're they're setting up a shot, and in order to make the frame work, Ray Liotta is just going to have to come down a couple steps, um, so they can fit him in the frame with the other actor. So the director goes over to Ray Liotta and asks him, "Hey, could you take a couple steps down uh, so we could frame you?" And he says, uh, "I don't." you know, whatever my character would do that. I don't think I would do that. Like it would just be difficult. And the person was like, please, because it would just help a lot. If you could just go and Ray Liotta said, okay, but you know what I think of that? And he blasted a fart. So, Gosh, it's too bad that wait, did he die last year? Maybe for the Oscars this year, that could be how they memorialize him. I just come out and I tell this story that I've heard secondhand. <laughs> and then he said yes but you know what I think of that and he farted and then can you imagine after he does that he does that <laughs> <laughs> where he puts up his little like velociraptor arms uh, <laughs> oh, that's great well that is kind of the a thing I've debated with people like when you pass when the person passes away do they, can you share? Or are you supposed to respect them even more? Because I've had a friend who um, subsequently uh, came out to the world, but came out to me beforehand and said, we had a conversation. He was like, hey, if I pass away, uh, you can tell people. And I was like, oh, it just ran counter to my mind yeah. of like, if this is uh wouldn't you not want that out into the, if, if that was a thing you didn't want shared, um, wouldn't that be post death? But then when it was explained to me of like, what the fuck do I care? I'm not here anymore. Right. Let the truth be free. Then I was like, okay, that makes sense too. <laughs> do you think also Ray Liotta went down those two steps, did all that, and then turned to the other actor and was like, if I die, you can tell people. <laughs> 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 That's a good Liotta laugh. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, the um, just so I don't miss the um, last note here that was uh, written from Brantley's notes right at, right under ad lib hair sniff <laughs> <laughs> is um, the airbag accident. I thought this was yeah. so cool that so good they locked picture on a Thursday and then. The filmmakers were like, I think we could actually make this better. And so they went behind the studio's back and re-edited it so that the airbag death scene would be more impactful. Yeah, and and think the studio just didn't notice. I wonder if that happens fairly commonly. I mean, one of the coolest things Brian De Palma ever did was that Scarface thing where he brought it in for like, I think five different cuts did not have a get an X rating. And then they asked for one more and he was like, forget it. I'm just going to release this one and we'll call it R. And they did. It was the original Wait, one. Say again. The, he just was like, instead of just taking all these cuts, I'm just going to release the original version. And, uh, uh, it got through. I like, I, I think it was like, um, you make these cuts, 
we'll give you the R. He got the R and then he just reinstated the cuts, which is like something that you kind of go like, oh, somebody could probably just do that. And you wouldn't go to jail for it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You just get the let you get the rating and then you're like, hey, we got two more weeks of before we have to strike these prints. Let's just put that stuff back in. Who cares? Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. But I could, you know, that might be misdetailing some of it, but the, the gist of it is that he just ended up resubmitting his original cut. Okay. Um, but with this movie, the test audiences were like, no, you freaks. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, that uh, airbag death was a good one. It was kind of like the bus. I didn't see it coming. Yeah, because she survived so much. And also... Post 9-11, a fireman is like helping her. And he's like yeah. trying, he's like trying to get her out. And then he's like just a fucking rude piece of shit to her right before she dies. Yeah. There was like two counter things that happened there. <laughs> <laughs> um the uh I did like that little scene where they're all in the car together and they start figuring out how there was ripples. Yeah. And and then I had kind of an exciting moment watching it where I was like, oh, they've been in this car for a while. Oh, the last time they were in a car for a while was the opening. And then in that moment, it cut to the car on the highway that the beginning highway is. Mm. And uh, the way they... I had kind of hoped in a fun premonition way that that was going to where it landed up, was back on the road or something. Yeah. When it went to the cabin, it was a little like I'd been there because even these premonitions, you know, if we said Devin Sawa was emulating Brad Pitt from 12 Monkeys uh, in Final Destination 1, the plot in Final Destination 2 is emulating 12 Monkeys with this like, I have these visions that don't make sense, but they're going to start completing by the end. Yeah. Right. Isn't that a part of 12 Monkeys? I think, but and it clues her into how to going on with this. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, yeah. but that steel pole going through the windshield, um, that killed Eugene. Also steel yeah. poles in um Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> <laughs> um the uh yeah, then the heart to heart between that girl and the strokes guy. Oh, his death. Oh, and his death. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, when was Ghost Ship? Was that before or after this movie? It was before, right? Yeah. Why happens in Ghost Ship? Because there's a similar thing where someone's cut by steel cables, like actually a bunch of people. Um, but this one had multiple cuts. Is 13 and- Ghosts the one that's like somebody gets bisected by like glass? Like they're standing in a hallway and then he's like, Glass pieces come out from the walls and then chop the person up. Like, or maybe I'm thinking a cube. I haven't seen that. I don't know. I mean, that's a, um, what's the probability of somebody dying like that? Not good. A perfect, like barbed wire bisection. Yeah. But just the look on his face was pretty great. Um, the oh, one of the examples of those things that I like where you've seen it a hundred times in a different movie, but it's just different now because it's death up in Final Destination doing it. When Eugene's in the hospital and the 
kill the the accidents that start happening are just kind of like fuck it we're not gonna wait for things like the car yeah. just starts rolling and the two start know. blasting off on their own it didn't make me think it's like in a thriller when the killer starts getting sloppy at the end because they're just like i ugh. And now I like it better you got that me way. pissed off. And now I'm not even going to wait for wind to blow to make. I'm just going to make the car. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I like that better because when I was watching it, I was kind of like, why doesn't he death just do this all the time? Yeah, you got to push him. You got to really. piss him off. Yeah, he's getting tired. The um, filmmaker, uh, the director for Friday 13th Part 4, he has this really funny story where he said that a... Uh, uh, when he saw opening night, Friday the 13th, part four, uh, when Jason gets stabbed near the end, uh, uh, he heard somebody guy, a guy in the audience go, now he's really angry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, to save us, I have to die. Uh, yeah, this is where it lost me quite a bit. Cause I just wasn't invested enough to care. Also, you could see this coming well before they yep. said it. They're really you know. dissatisfying. I mean, not the very, very ending, which we could talk about, but that yeah. also just like, wow, you've constructed this movie's climax to be a girl choosing to kill herself. Yeah. Like it's, it's a weird, like hooray. <laughs> and also like he, the guy tries to save her, but it just so happens that the, um, a sliding door gets fritzed and he's locked in there kind of going, Oh no, there's nothing uh, I can do. Too bad. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's worst nightmare. Sliding doors that don't work. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So that last half a movie in one life. Yeah. What was the reason he was supposed to be dead? This kid? I forgot. He was supposed to be at the. He was at the first crime scene. Yeah. Oh, the, the guy, the Pete Yorn dude saved him. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so... But if uh, that guy was dead, Pete Yorn would have been dead on the highway. That other guy would have never been there and never died, so death is starting to cheat a little bit. Ooh, that's not you know fair, I mean? death. No. You can't cheat death, but it doesn't say anywhere that death can cheat you. Yeah, I wonder if that's explored in part three at all. I doubt it. <laughs> um... I did think like uh, this movie seemed to leave off on like, hey, you can try to read clues, but to save people, but it might just accidentally result in more death. We thought there were WMDs in Iraq, Matt. (laughs) And then for the next eight years, we were stuck there. (laughs) (laughs) Allie Larder is Colin Powell, who first was a believer and then went cynical. Uh, yeah, this one, you know, the first one felt like it had a pretty coherent theme or message. Like just saying you can't beat fate. Yeah. Or can you? But this one is has doesn't even feel like it has a message. Even a like clunky one. It's just let's just do this again, which in a certain way I can appreciate. But. When they try to do this backwards death thing, it's like, you don't need to complicate it. Just just start killing the people. Yeah, if the first one was like a chocolate-covered pretzel where there was some like 
nourishment yeah. there was it just all chocolate this was like a chocolate covered like sour patch kid. <laughs> oh that sounds good yeah hey sign me up <laughs> so matt best kill okay um boy gosh i think oh this is a tough one it's got i like pete yoring getting killed by the cables but i think it's actually for me the first time the cop gets killed in the car crash because that log just goes through and just a tidal wave of blood and viscera. Yeah. And I just laughed out loud because you know that's coming. The, the log's heading towards him, but it's crazy when you still know it's coming and the effect of it is still makes you go, whoa. You're right. The carnage in that opening scene is really wild. Uh, and just like a... It's also visceral because... God damn it. We've been in fast cars on highways our whole lives. There is something yeah. that like, and I haven't ever been in a hotel that there was a a fire, right? right. Like it is really uh, tapping into something pretty scary there. Yeah. Just hearing like hear when a camera's in a car that's moving and you're just hearing the rattling of like the seatbelts yeah. or the plastic seat, uh, headrests and stuff. It's cool. And there's no Tracy Chapman song that goes, you're in a burning hotel. <laughs> is it hot enough that you can get away? There is. There is. Yeah, you got it's um one of those tracks that like isn't listed on the album comes at the end. <laughs> Secret track. Yeah. So what's your best kill? Oh, I, I think the teenage splat, the the glass, the pane of glass falling on the kid and just him blowing up meat, just <laughs> an explosion of meat. And yeah. uh the audacity. It, it feels to me like a, a pretty good snapshot of the audacity of this movie that it is. A really innocent teenage kid. Yeah. Who they didn't even make a shit. He's like likable. Yeah. He's just his one dumb joke. His only sin. <laughs> um, oh God. I hope <laughs> that's not a true sin. I'm in trouble. His bedroom, by the way, too, the way they production designed it with just like executive business toys and lights and Holding strange the geometric puzzles. Yeah. And then I realized this the movie's production designer was named Michael Bolton. And I saw his bedroom. I'm like, wait, was this the actual Michael Bolton? <laughs> uh, well, before we rate this, should we, uh, I have three Xenomorph names. Yeah. Read. If you subscribe to our Patreon at the Xenomorph level, email us at with and rust at gmail.com. And we'll read your name live on the podcast. So Doug Hendrickson wants his name read by the Southern lawyer. Doug, as in a hole to hide the bodies. Hendrick's son of a gun, because I was just kidding. He's innocent. Um, Adam and Bridget, Patreon power couple, would like their names read as a new no-no. No, no, no. Hey, if your name is what? Adam and Bridget. Adam and Bridget. You should actually be. But that I'm a new. <laughs> no, no, no. Your names are mixed up now. Thank you, guys. Uh, and then uh, Matt Gauntlet, who is also a Matt G, would yes. like his name read by Hedgehog Giger. Um, okay, I did it. Bye. <laughs> oh, that little rascal. He is. Well, all right, let's get to these ratings. Yes. So uh, uh, the first one we rated a, uh, I think I did an 11, 10 and a half. Yeah. Uh, 
you gave it a 10 and a half. I gave it a 10. Okay. I'm going to give this one a nine. I'll give it a 10. I actually, I, I think I like the first one more. Yeah. It was well like said what you said. The, the structural stuff in the first one is good, but the kills are better in the second. That's right. Yep. All right. Well, we'll be back next week with Final Destination 3. Ooh, three <laughs> is always the scariest number. Uh, that was fun, Paul. We'll see you next yep. week. Bye, y'all. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.